0: Hello and welcome to Tour of Truth with Krista and company. Today's company is Pastor Tim Buck and Pastor Tim is from Focus on the End Times Ministry which is also known by FOTET.org. You can find them online there as well. Today Pastor Tim is going to share with us a little bit about the Middle East and some current events and we are delighted to have you with us today Pastor Tim.
1: Me too, Krista. Looking forward to being with you.
0: We're going to be talking about something that I believe most people in the church community, if they aren't, they should be very interested in what's going on in, in the world events and how it relates to biblical prophecy.
1: Not often talked about, not often communicated in the churches about what the scenario is in the Middle East, but certainly affecting all of our lives.
0: It really is. You know, on the face of it, it's a crazy prophecy, right? Thousands of years ago, the prophet Zechariah said that in the end times, Israel, tiny little Israel, would be front and center on the world stage and that all the nations of the world would scheme and they'd fight for her. And at the time of these prophecies, did Israel have any great natural resources for someone to want to steal? Of course not. They didn't even have a great seaport that someone would want to take over. They didn't have that then, right?
1: No natural resources that would make them a powerful country.
0: So they weren't strategically located. So why on earth would Zechariah make the bold statement that tiny little nothing Israel at the time would be on the spot of the earth that would command the world's attention in the last days?
1: God knew that his plan for Israel Israel required that and required Israel to be in center stage. And when we look at the end times today, what Zechariah and the prophets said where Israel would be is precisely how their position, center of the world, attention and their resources and how God's brought them back
0: that is exactly why we should be paying attention. We shouldn't put our head in the sand right now. You know, a lot of people would want to look around and scoff, but the Bible tells us not to be a scoffer, but there will be scoffers, right? Absolutely.
1: Another sign of the end times that in the last days, people are going to say, look, you keep telling us about this Lord coming back again, but we don't see that happening. It's not going to come back. And so they reject it.
0: And to add to the dilemma of the prophecy of Zechariah was the fact that Israel was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans All the Jews were on the run. They were forced out. And so for 2,000 years, they didn't have a homeland. There wasn't even a nation of Israel in existence, right? But in 1948, within a lifetime of people that are still in existence today that saw that happen.
1: Yeah, no question. It's the miracle of the end times, the number one sign, how that out of nowhere, after 2,000 years, Israel would return and be given back their land. And by the way, they got that land back in one day. Just like the Bible says. Fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. They reestablished their Hebrew language. Nobody's ever picked up a dead language. It wasn't even a communicated language on the face of the earth. They had to rewrite the dictionary and the encyclopedias in those days with the Hebrew language and revive it all. And sure enough, exactly as the prophets described it, it's come to pass.
0: Let's go ahead and talk about some of the current events. One being Israel's election crisis. I was actually in Israel on April 10th when Netanyahu addressed the Likud. The Likud, for those listening that might not be aware, that's the right-wing party of the Israeli political party. So the faithful following of that Likud saw yet another impressive victory for Netanyahu. When that happened, I was thinking to myself, praise the Lord, you know, so excited. And then weeks later, on May 29th, the world was shocked with something that has never happened before. And we're going to have to have a re-election in Israel? I understand there was a difficult coalition negotiations that laid ahead after Benjamin Netanyahu was elected. But, you know, that's always been the case in Israel. There's never been a scenario where new elections were called because a candidate had failed to form a working coalition, which is what he needed to do.
1: You know, Krista, most Americans don't quite understand the political environment in Israel. So let's talk about that first of all. In America, we have the Democrats and the Republicans. In Israel, there's actually 34 parties that run for the Knesset, and there's only 120 seats. So to form a government, the ruling party has to have at least 61 seats. That forms a majority of the 120 seats. Well, when you have 34 different parties running, you have a lot of difficulties getting any type of a majority. And so what happened in this particular case, the Likud party got 35 seats, approximately, and then it's their job to go to the other parties and cobble together some sort of a coalition to be able to choose the prime minister and the cabinet members, etc. And in this case, Benjamin Netanyahu's Likud party decided one of the first times to go to the right-wing religious parties to form his government. That kind of is interesting to me, pertaining to the end times, how that all of a sudden they're bringing in rabbis and they're bringing in people that believe the prophets to form a government. But he did it anyhow. He got some heat off of that. He got up to 60 people. He needed one more to form that majority. So he went to a few other parties and it fell through for different types of reasons. It fell through. And his only option was, instead of allowing President Rivlin to then take over and choose somebody else, was to have what majority he could cobble together simply disband the Knesset altogether and go back to a revote in September. And that's what he chose to do. And we're now kind of in the transition between the first, voting and September's voting with the Knesset right now. Here's what's interesting about that. I see that the religious roots of Israel have been buried for the last 70 years. Unfortunately, they're mostly all secular today. But here we beginning to see some of the fruits of God working in Israel to position them for the end times. While God's working with Israel, he's also winning the church and leading people to Christ all over the world. But the rabbis are interested in building their temple. And now they're beginning to get some government people who are going to be able to help them. There are even Knesset members right now that would like Torah law as opposed to secular law. Let me say that again. There are judicial members in the Knesset, like what we would call our Attorney General, who wants to reestablish Torah law in Israel. There are a lot of people calling for the Temple Mount to be ruled by Israel instead of a Jordanian Arab rule the way that it is now. So these are all fairly, in the last decade, recent developments that indicate God's beginning to do some things in Israel moving into the end times.
0: It is exciting, and it's a bit unpredictable right now, wouldn't you say? Sure yeah. is.
1: Sure is. You're not sure what the Lord has. And and of course, true to form, what happens when Israel's in a tough spot? Satan moves. And what happens in Israel's arch enemy? One of Israel's arch enemies is the prince of Persia. He is a demonic spirit. Daniel Which is a Yes. He is a demonic spirit that Daniel talks about in Daniel chapter 10. And I'm suspicious, Krista, that while Israel is between governments, so much activity is happening with Iran right now. Why is Iran doing a lot of the things that they're doing, and why are they causing and stirring so much trouble in the Persian Gulf, in Iraq, in Syria? More than usual right now, and it's because they see weakness in the Israeli government. And there's a good chance Netanyahu won't even become the next prime minister, And, and if If Israel, like America, would shift and put in a left-wing government, it would be extremely favorable to Iran. And I'm sure that the prince of Iran is up there stirring up a lot of the trouble that we're seeing today.
0: Absolutely. The one thing that's important to think about, because that can be a bit scary for some listening, it seems like what's going on then, that Satan's winning over here, or he's got some master plan going, but the reality is the master plan is the Lord's master plan. He's told us, he's given us these prophecies, these prophetic warnings showing us that he is still in charge and that he is actually going to be the one pulling the enemy to the border of Israel to fulfill his purposes.
1: It's incredible what the Lord's doing. And if we could possibly look into the heaven's master list, we would find thousands and millions of things being done right now in Israel, in the Middle East, in America, in the governments of this world that are inching our world system towards the end times to where God wants to position Israel in the center of it, where he can ultimately convert and save the Jewish people at Christ's second coming.
0: Right. Our assurance is in the hope that we put in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that when we repent, that's where we need to be in these days, that we need to have an attitude of repentance and a heart that is steadfast, abiding in him. And if we're in that place, we're in a safe place. Amen. So moving on to a couple of other questions for you, Tim, what about the Persian Gulf, the drone being shot down and tankers blazing in the Gulf? What is going on? You know, what's motivating Iran to do these things right now. I, I ask that because you know there's always been tension, you know, between Iran and America and we've had these kind of tanker wars before twenty-eight years ago. But this is a feud that's never gone away and here it has flared up once again when Donald Trump decided to apply maximum pressure after walking away from the 2015 Iran nuclear deal. So what are your thoughts on all of this? That what's going on over there?
1: That's a great question, Krista, and in a nutshell how I see this, that is Iran is doing everything they can to get the Europeans to put pressure on America to pick up the slack to get back on the nuclear deal and or relieve the sanctions that President Trump has brought to bear Iran's economy is in the tank and their backs against the wall they really don't have too many options right now and they're trying to get the world's attention and if you look at what they did they they blew up a couple unflagged tankers they're not American tankers they might have been our allies they shot down an unmanned drone They threw some threats out there, but they really haven't accomplished anything. These are measured things that they're doing to get the United States' attention and get the world's attention. Iran's economy is suffering big time because of the sanctions that Trump has put onto them.
0: And that actually brings us to another topic. You know, we've been hearing a lot about President Trump's sanctions. Can you explain for those listening how the sanctions work and how they're having an effect, you know, on countries like Iran?
1: Yeah, absolutely. In in 2017, when President Trump came into power, early on in his administration, he very wisely created a new and unique policy called Katsa And Katsa is C-A-A-T-S-A. It's Countering American. America's adversaries through the Sanctions Act. And Trump has decided to use the anvil of sanctions instead of military. The anvil of sanctions are pressuring the haters of Israel at almost out of existence. So in 2017 that sanctions act allowed the US Treasury to target the energy sector, the banking sectors, shipping sectors, and all other sectors of the country's economy. For instance, it's illegal to purchase Iranian oil. When the president brought that to bear on Iran, he gave eight countries a pass for six months. China, India, Turkey. Eight countries and he gave them six months to try to find oil from somewhere else. They were the only ones in the world. As soon as that six-month period was up, President Trump clamped right down on that. President Trump has also sanctioned the Iranian Revolutionary Guard and it's the first time that our country has sanctioned an entity inside of a country. They've taken the leadership of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard and they've sanctioned them, meaning the wealthy leaders of that organization. And that organization, by the way, only is responsible to the Ayatollah. And they are responsible for the proxies in Yemen and Hamas in the Gaza Strip, Hezbollah in Lebanon. And so Trump has sanctioned them. He's sanctioned the entire petroleum industry in Iran. So here's the way this works. Our country's the strongest in the world. Our country's wealth and businesses and manufacturing and schools and banking system there's nobody to compete with us and every other country wants a piece of us and every other country has to use the American banking system it has to in order to have a coca-cola you've got to buy it from an American source in order to have a McDonald's in order to build an airplane in order to put a bullet somewhere more than likely you're gonna to have to deal with the United States government some way or a corporation that's in America we're huge and Trump is saying fine if you want to do business with all of our great things and all of the things that we've got going on, you can't do business with Iran. And if you get caught doing business, and here's why Europe's scared to death, because BMW and all their countries, when the Obama administration lifted those sanctions, all those companies ran into Iran and started doing business. Trump lifted it and gave them a break for six months as well. But none of them want to get caught helping Iran now because the entire U.S. Treasury sanction program, we're going to ban them from doing business with any more Americans. Sounds
0: like these sanctions are working. It sounds like Trump had a good plan there.
1: Let me tell you how they're working. At their peak, Iran had a $100 billion a year from oil income today, they're seven billion dollars a year. That's from a hundred billion to seven. At their peak, they had some of the largest resources of gas and oil in the world. And at their peak, they were selling at about three million barrels a day. They're now less than five hundred thousand barrels, at the lowest they've ever been since this regime took over. So they're them desperate. Over. They're absolutely desperate, and nobody's allowed to do any business with them, including Russia, where we sanctioned them, which Trump has sanctioned all the leadership of Is Russia problem well, with
0: desperate people, though, is they make really foolish decisions.
1: That's a very good point. That's a very, very very good point. I think the liberal left in America is thinking about, they're thinking, well, maybe Trump will just do something stupid here and bomb them, or maybe they're going to goad Trump and the Trump administration into doing something dumb, and you know they're going to be able to then blame the whole mess uh, that the president's trying to resolve on him. I don't think it's going to happen. I think we ought to stay the course and don't have to lift a finger. If Trump would just sit on his couch and do nothing, nothing and let the U.S. Treasury continue to bite the Economy of Iran and our enemies. I think we're in pretty good shape.
0: You mentioned the the oil, and I did want to ask you, you know, about the news uh, that we've recently heard, where there's oil that has been found on the land of Israel. So now they've actually got a commodity that the world is interested in.
1: Yeah, they have struck oil several places, and their largest deposits are in the Mediterranean, but they're in legal Israeli waters, and it's called the Leviathan. Is their largest deposit of oil out there, and what they've done? Done wisely, as as they develop those vines, they've now linked up with Greece and with Italy to build a pipeline from Israel all the way to Europe. And of course, that's stirring up nothing but trouble because the Europeans buy 100% of their oil and their gas from Russia. And Russia's trying to take it through Turkey to go over there. And so the United States, about a month ago, held a meeting with Greece and Italy and Israel. And Pompeo went over to basically say to the world, we're in favor of the Eastern Mediterranean gas pipeline to provide for Israel to be able to sell their gas to Europe. They've also recently found some in, of all places, the Golan Heights. Right. So wouldn't Israel find the largest deposit of on land in the Golan Heights? And of course, one of the things about the Battle of Gog and Magog is that they're interested in coming into the land of Israel in the end times to stir up a war with Israel and to get a booty and to, and to be able to capture some sort of an asset that
0: Israel has. And well, so a very, that was very my point, chance. was that what are the odds that this is no coincidence? That here we are, 2,000 years later, Israel has been returned to their land. God said that he would bring his people back into their land, and here they are, and then that he would give them something to fight over. Because he said that he's going to draw these people to the border, that he will be the one to pull them with a hook in their jaw and bring them over. And so what is it that it would take to get people wanting to come into the land so much, you know, to get this booty, and here we have something that all the world wants and has been fighting over since you know it Absolutely. all began.
1: Absolutely very good point. And of course that tells us the strategic importance of Syria north of Israel and Iraq northeast of Israel. And that's becoming a staging area for Iran to be able to ultimately come down through the Golan Heights to enter Israel to take back the Golan Heights, take back the assets and come into Israel. Israel really to steal their land back in the... Well, essentially,
0: they're already on the border, right? We had the military camps that we had in Syria, and then we pulled out. So who took those facilities over?
1: Yeah, the Iranians are doing a masterful job of building a land bridge from Tehran to the Mediterranean. In fact, they have just purchased their first long-term lease agreement for a port on the Mediterranean, and their port happens to be between two Russian ports, meaning they're smart enough to know that if we bomb that port, we're going to end up possibly having damage done to the Russian port, on either side of it and it's incredible how fast the Iran Iraq Syria Lebanon pathway is clearing out and what's happening right before the world's eyes is precisely what the word of God talks about how that there would be a end time empire in that vicinity that would ultimately come from there down into Israel
0: in the end times right and we're watching it we are it's incredible well what about Gaza it seems like every few years there's a major flare up between the Gaza strip and Israel so can you give us some background on this
1: yeah thank you the, you know there's a prophecy in the Word of God about Gaza. It's in Zephaniah. And it's actually Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse 4. It's fairly short, and here's what it says. It says, Gaza will be abandoned and Ashkelon will be left in ruins. And it's my view that that prophecy that Gaza would be abandoned was fulfilled in 2005. In 2005, George W. Bush and Israeli Prime Minister Ariel Sharon created what's called the Disengagement of Gaza, a shocking land-for-peace deal that was a mistake from the get-go, and they created a mechanism whereby 9,000 Jewish people had to leave their homes, all their property and pack up their bags and move out of the Gaza Strip. A terrible thing to do. In fact, it almost caused a civil war. They even had to dig up the Jewish bodies in the cemeteries and drag them out and rebury them over in oh Israel word. mainland. And it was a tragic, very emotional time for the country of Israel. And it was all because of this flawed concept that the U.S. policies had for 50 years since 1967 Six Day War, that we're supposed to be able to give land back which will create more peace.
0: Which has never happened. It
1: doesn't create peace. It can't create peace. It creates more opportunity for terror and for war. And so in this particular instance, the Gaza Strip, was handed over to the Palestinians. Let me just give you a little piece of information about this because we see Gaza now, we see the rockets coming in every year or two almost every month it seems like. What happened? Well the Palestinians they had a vote on January 25th, 2006 and they voted in Hamas. Hamas took all of the wealth of the Gaza Strip. When Hamas took over the Gaza Strip, there were 200 farms that produced $200 million a year income for Israel. Those 200 farms in the Gaza Strip in 2005 were 15% of Israel's agricultural exports. Those farms, believe it or not, were worth $23 billion. They handed them over. They had a lot of greenhouses that were concreted. They were growing flowers and plants. And now they became rocket- launching pads. They burned down all the synagogues. They destroyed everything that Israel gave to them. And the turnaround is quite dramatic. Right now, instead of a Garden of Eden, you've got arson jihad and Hamas is attempting to fly kites in Israel. They've they've destroyed about 75,000 acres of prime Israeli southern Israel farmland. I noticed, Krista, what's happening. The Palestinians are putting toys on kites like little Mickey Mouse or balloons or little airplanes and they're making them go up in the air and they're rigging explosives to them. So if they land in a schoolyard These little pictures of a Mickey Mouse doll or balloons, those kids are going to go running right over there and they're going to get killed. So this is the type of people that that the rest of the world tells us we have to give land to for peace. It's not going to be peace. It's going to continually be terror, continually be bloodshed because Hamas's charter only calls for the full and total destruction of Israel. This is not going to be solved in our lifetime or anybody else's lifetime, sadly.
0: Well, and that's because it goes back to biblical times. The fight over this land, you know, the Islamic nations through the Quran, the Muslim people believing that these are their holy sites and this land was given to them, you know, and there's just so much deception. When you really look at everything historically, it is a absolute fact that this land belongs to the Israelite people, that it was given to them under a eternal covenant by God himself. And he actually spelled out the borders of the land, more land than they have today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think something like 15 times the scriptures give the borders of Israel's land Mm -hmm. and listen Christa, God is not pleased when Israel gives up a chunk of the promised land for Allah. Right. He's not pleased with this. It would be like Joshua going to the Canaanites and saying, oh, we can't conquer you. Okay, well, why don't you just take uh, Jerusalem and Hebron and Nazareth? Just leave them for the Canaanites. God would not be pleased with that. And No, we're... and
0: it's because they're trusting in man and not in God. He told them that he would defend them against their enemies. They still have yet to put their full trust in the name of the lord that he would be their banner and so once they do that yes he will defend them against their enemies and he's going to anyway because it's part of his promise for the end but nonetheless that's why you're right that we're never going to see these peace deals work out
1: yeah that's a very good point god specifically told him through moses not to trust their surrounding nations and not to enter into a bargain with the surrounding nations because god was supposed to take care of them and this is why when ultimately peace is made with antichrist it triggers the seven-year tribulation because God's plan was the last thing you should do is give up chunks of the promised land to a foreign entity, let alone a false god-worshipping foreign entity. That's beyond God's red line. It's going to trigger the seven-year tribulation, and it's going to be a a disaster for everybody involved.
0: So that brings us right into the questions regarding Trump's peace plan. We've got Trump's son-in-law and advisor, Jared Kushner, is going to be gathering regional officials Soon, private sector leaders in Bahrain next week to unveil, you know, the first plank of the Trump administration's long-awaited plan, and it's all about ending the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians, which we've just talked about. We know that's never going to work, but they've labeled it, you know, the the war that never ends. He called achieving Israel-Palestinian peace the ultimate deal. He even said, as a deal maker, here's what I'd like to do: the deal that can't be made, and do it for humanity. They've said we'll present a realistic and implementable vision for peace. Kushner's indicated that his peace proposal, if and when it's released in full, will not include the concept of a two state solution, you know, which is a long and central tenet of most of the potential peace plans for the region. I'd like to hear your thoughts on how do you see the role of President Trump in the context of end times prophecy and what do you think about this deal of the century?
1: I think it's more important than we really realize, Krista. I know every president has attempted it. And to a certain extent, every president for the last fifty years has has accelerated end-time things and has accelerated us to the point where we are now. In fact, the United States presidents have more importance on end-time events than probably anybody in the world. And the reason is we have more influence on Israel than anybody in the world. And so for the last 50 years, we've been attempting this, but we're getting closer and closer. And Trump's deal is so creative and so out of the box. My personal feeling is that it is definitely laying the groundwork for the ultimate deal that Antichrist. Is going to need to have, which the scriptures indicate, will start the tribulation period in the peace plan that Jared Kushner is putting forth. It's going to be in Bahrain. That, in in and of itself, is quite amazing. Bahrain is a U.S. friendly Gulf Arab state, an island in the Persian Gulf, just off of the coast of Saudi Arabia, and they are also somewhat friendly to Israel, although they haven't officially recognized Israel. Only Egypt and Jordan have officially recognized Israel, but at At the Bahrain conference there are now seven Arab countries invited who have accepted coming there to discuss the plans with Israel and to hear what President Trump's plan really is. One of the things that they wanted to do was divide the peace initiative in half. The first half is the economic peace and the second half is the political peace. On the economic peace, President Trump's, as we've already discussed here today, he almost looks at the United States and world events through the eyes of economic issues more than military issues because he's a businessman. And he sees that there is not going to be any peace unless the Palestinians have an economy unless there's jobs that can afford to pay people unless there's manufacturing and businesses and some sort of way for people to be content and happy there's not going to be any successful way to just hand like what happened in Gaza we can't just hand land over to people that can't run anything and so they're headed in that direction right now my what I've heard is they have roughly 85 billion dollars ready to be given to the Palestinians to start an economy and what he's going to try to attempt to do is discuss railway systems manufacturing systems airport systems exporting ports it is a massive endeavor that when Israel hands the keys over to whatever they're going to hand them over ultimately, which I'm opposed to theologically and according to prophecy. But whenever that does get happen, there's going to be something there for these people to be able to live on. And so the conference is called prosperity to peace. And that is what next Tuesday and Wednesday they'll be discussing.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting as well, because there is a scripture that says, uh, referring to the end times, that when they say peace, that sudden destruction comes upon them.
1: That's a very good point. And I think that the verse says when they say peace and security. And for years and years, that's exactly what Israel says. Okay, we'll do peace, but we need to have security. And the Palestinians say, we want peace. We don't want you know war. We want to be able to have peace and security also. Let me just name these countries because they're pretty important. Here's who's going to be at the peace summit in Bahrain next week. Jordan, Egypt, Morocco, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and Bahrain. Two governments have said no, the Palestinian Authority and Lebanon. And, of course, it was Golda Meir that said of the Palestinians they never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. And she was absolutely right. And, of course, Lebanon isn't coming because they're strangled by Hezbollah, which is an Iranian proxy in southern Lebanon, and they're not going to be be able to show So for the next couple days, next week, and going forward, there's going to be a very important summit. We have no idea when the political piece will be launched.
0: I actually read something that just came out this morning. They're indicating November.
1: Well, that's what everybody's with bated breath is wondering. (laughs) And you know what I'm interested in, Krista, is will the political piece say anything about the Temple Mount. Israel is the epicenter of world prophecy and Bible prophecy, and Jerusalem is the epicenter of, of Israel, and the Temple Mount is the epicenter of Jerusalem. And the rabbis went to Trump's office when he first became president, about a dozen of Israel's top rabbis, and they said to him, Mr. President, we believe you were elected to get our third Temple bill. And Trump discussed that with him and talks about it quite often. Now, I'm going to be interested to, to me to see what, if it comes out in November, if anything there is in that deal concerning the Temple Mount.
0: Well, based on what you just said, I'd be surprised to not see it there, knowing Trump, right? Yeah,
1: exactly, <laughs> exactly. These are interesting times. We need to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Israel needs to continually seek the Lord. There are now about 30,000 roughly Messianic born-again Jews in Israel and they have launched a very aggressive underground prayer time in Israel. First time ever that there's been a fairly unified Messianic Jewish prayer time inside of Israel. And I'm praying for those people. I'm praying for the prayer meetings that they're having and the discussions that they're having because even they're beginning to realize what's happening all around them. Everybody is over there.
0: Well, and it's the one new man coming together. That's what it's about.
1: Absolutely. These are interesting times. God has His hand on the pulse of things in Israel. God's undeniably got His hand on America right now. Our president is sort of like crossing the Red Sea. The sea was on both sides. Mm -hmm. We can see the evil wants to take over. But we're walking through a period of time right now, almost like Israel's golden age. Israel has a guy like Cyrus in the White House, has their back completely. And it's just a very exciting time. I hope some of these questions would help the people and help them get a better understanding.
0: Absolutely. You know, the Bible tells us that Israel would be a cup of trembling for the whole world to see. And what are we seeing? You know, that's exactly happening. How accurate was God's prophecy that he gave to Zechariah? 100%.
1: Absolutely, Israel is right where they're supposed to be at this time, in the center of the earth, under controversy, an international controversy. Here's what Zechariah says, when Israel finally ends up back in the land, They're going to enter into an international controversy over the city of Jerusalem and over their land. And that's exactly what's going on today.
0: Well, Pastor Tim, I think we could continue this for a great deal of time into the afternoon. So we're going to have to do it again. Okay.
1: Thank you. I look forward to it. Thank you so much, Christopher, for inviting me to be with you today. I've enjoyed it. I appreciate you, your ministry, your love for the Lord. And just want to say hi to all your friends and people that are listening to this uh, so thankful for the opportunity to talk to them today.
0: Well, thank you for being here as well. And how can um, folks get in touch with you? You know, you do the classes. Where can someone find that class schedule? And how can people connect with your ministry as well to find out more as it relates to end times events and prophecy?
1: Sure. Thank you so much. They can go to our website, FOTET, F O T E T, dot org, stands for Focus on the End Times. I think we're the only Bible prophecy ministry teaching Bible prophecy in the upstate that you can go to. And we have people from maybe 20 or 30 different churches that attend our classes. We have a lot of fun and food, but you can get all the information on when the next class is and what the topic is. Actually, the next class is going to be on the subject of the Trump Peace Plan. And I believe that class is going to be held August 13th. So we're looking forward to Walking through what you and I just discussed in a lot more detail concerning the Trump peace plan on August
0: 13th. I appreciate the resources you have on your website as well because I noticed that you've got class notes that you keep up online as well as the video conferences so people, if they've missed your conference, they can watch it online as well.
1: Yeah, thank you. We have a YouTube channel. All the classes are free and the notes for the classes are free on our website. You can get the link for our YouTube channel right on our website as well and our Facebook page as well.
0: Okay. Would you mind, Pastor Tim, closing us out in prayer and and praying for the peace of Jerusalem as well?
1: Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you today and you've told us that Israel is the apple of your eye. And you've told us that in the latter days, there'll be hatred, there'll be scoffers, there'll be mockers, and they'll not enjoy Israel's presence in the land again. And Lord, so we're thankful that you've opened our eyes, that you've taught us that these are the times that you've warned us about. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Lord, to know you as our Lord and Savior. And Lord, we would... Lift up our arms and right now and ask you to cover Israel. Right now they're between elections and we pray that the one that you want to rule Israel would be elected in September. We pray you'll give our president great wisdom and give our leaders great wisdom, especially as it pertains to Israel. And we thank you, Lord, for the word of God, which is the light that shines in the darkness. You've told us to read it as a light that shines, and we want to do that and hold that up as our guiding book. May you be pleased with what we do in our lives as we serve you to that end, for we ask it and pray it in Christ's precious name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you for listening today, and if you'd like to hear another podcast or play this one again, you can find us at touroftruth.com. We'll look forward to chatting with you again soon.